welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Fundamental Analysis Show, our Sunday episode. I will say this is going to be our last Fundamental Analysis Show on Sundays. We got something new cooking up for the Sunday episode. It'll be very similar, but we're excited about it. Adding another member to the episode should be fun, but we don't want to spoil anything. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about Seven and I Holdings company I don't think anyone listening knows about except for Kermit Capital. If you're listening, thank you for uh, sharing this one good company, one that, you know, I, I would be fun to illuminate on. I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, no, Kermit uh, definitely brought this one to our attention. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's he kind of gave me my future growth opportunity, which we'll talk about. But before we get to that, Code CCM. Code CCM, yes. When this comes out, it'll be the day before the new recommendations come out. So very exciting. Uh, if you don't know what seven investing Ooh. is, they do seven picks each month, long-term holdings, high growth stuff, value stuff, really a mix for everyone. And if you use our promo code CCM, you get $10 off your first month. So only seven bucks to try out the subscription service. The team over there is great. Their performances has been great. You can go check that out. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but they're crushing the market. And you know what I was thinking about was, oh, I can't wait until they get their seventh member. But that seventh pick right now is a combination of all of their analysis. <laughs> it's the they Galaxy all, brand. It's the Galaxy so that's brand pick. One coming together. So yes, exactly. Better that that could be the last month where you get one like that. So <laughs> sign up now, code CCM. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Take it away. What is Seven and I? Seven and I. Yeah, I am going to call them Seven Eleven Holdings. So uh, because Seven and I just doesn't really ring off the tongue. So but it's Japanese. So you know, they didn't used to be, but oh, they really? are the largest owner of convenience stores around the world, and they are headquartered in Tokyo, Japan. So the company does a lot, uh, and we'll try to cover as much as we can. But it's we're not going to get to every segment, so we apologize in advance if we we'll, don't. Yeah, we'll try to get everything that's meaningful, but there right. are a bunch of smaller parts. Okay, yes. And uh, in addition to convenience stores, 7-Eleven Holdings also has department stores, superstores, specialty stores, financial services, and I believe restaurants now as well. So that's why I say we're not going to get into everything, and then there's even segments within those. So they have 71,000 stores in total. That's probably a lot more now because they just had an acquisition of Speedway. But just think, if you're thinking 7-Eleven Holdings, just think convenience stores. And most of their business is done in Japan and the rest of Asia, but they also have a large presence here in the US. Um, and I know you're probably thinking of like, if you're in America, you're probably thinking of the 7-Eleven stores that are kind of run down. It's very different in Japan. The stores are well-kept, cleaner, bigger. Uh, people actually shop there for groceries. It's not just pit stops. Um, 
Yeah. And so it's just a different culture in there. It's worth going and looking at uh, a YouTube video. Just look up like 7-Eleven in Japan um, because they are much nicer. But I'll give some history, pretty interesting history actually. So 7-Eleven first started in Dallas, Texas in 1927. Uh, Johnny Jefferson Green ran an ice store or an ice company where he'd sell frozen blocks of ice because at the time it wasn't super easy to get. Uh, but then he began to add on other grocery types, so like milk, eggs, cigarettes aren't really a grocery, but stuff you could get kind of – he was really building a convenience store. Um, and it was originally called The Ice Company. Then it was called Totem Stores. And then finally it became 7-Eleven because of the company's long hours of uh, availability. Um, and they expanded throughout the U.S. Uh, in the 1950s. Around that time, they also started selling fuel. And this was a big turning point for them because uh, the suburbs were starting to grow. And so people would drive kind of from place to place and they'd stop there, pick up stuff. Um, and they had basically signature beverages like the Big Gulp, the – what are they called? Slurpees? Is that, that's 7-Eleven, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, Slurpee Day is... They had like self-serve coffee, uh, which I guess was signature to them. But in the 1990s, the parent company from Dallas, Texas, and by the by this time they were already really big, filed for bankruptcy and sold the controlling interest to their Japanese part, partners, Ito Yakoda. That's where you get the 7 and I, the Ito. Um, but now that they are a part of 7-Eleven Japan, they have basically continue to expand all out all throughout the world and they are the largest convenience store company in the world um however because of the mix-up and the mergers i couldn't really find the date they ipo'd um it was a, and the a long ticker, time ago. It, it's traded on the otc markets the ticker's what svndf yeah so unless you i'm assuming if you're listening you don't have access to the japanese markets um if you do well that's great uh but i don't think there's many people listening to an English podcast. Uh, but yeah, if you're in the US, uh, if you have access to the US markets, it's SDNDF. Uh, for the ticker, it is on the OTC markets, but it's not a penny stock. Don't get confused about that. Uh, but yeah, that kicks off the valuation. Enterprise value is about $29 billion for my calculation uh, before adjusting for any subsidiary debt with the Speedway acquisition, which is going to come on. They are adding about $8 million in net debt with the Speedway acquisition. It's a bit complicated. A lot of... Um, you know, additions with cash and minuses. It's it's not just a strict market cap company. You got to really look at the enterprise value and all the debt they have. Uh, EV to sales is about 0.51. So if you're thinking, don't think software, really low margin business. So that's not crazy low. Don't think it's a buy just because of that. However, EV to operating income is about 7.8. Uh, now when they add this debt, they're going to add uh, $8 billion in debt, which will raise that enterprise value to a higher rate. However, I think they're acquiring, gosh, what is it? Like $1 billion in 2019 operating income from Speedway. So they should be adding uh, some more, I don't know, just more profits from yeah, this acquisition. Yeah, it might not move and, that much, but it's it's going to mess with the enterprise value. Either way, uh, seems that's like, pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cheap. Dividend yield is about 2.4% uh, from what I calculated. Share count, very steady. If we use fiscal year 2020, which is their pre-COVID year, so their fiscal year 2021 is mainly the calendar year 2020. Uh, if we use that year's free cash flow, EV to free cash flow is about 11.1. They have $2.8 billion in short-term debt currently, $6.1 billion in long-term debt. 
$12.6 billion in cash and $1.9 billion in investment securities. So when they're adding this $8 billion in net debt from Speedway, um, you can see that they have the cash. They're not gonna just overload a balance sheet here with no, um, it, it's not as risky as you might think adding all this debt. Uh, you also have to note though, when looking at the balance sheet, it can get a bit gloomy because they have a finance subsidiary that can cloud their assets and liabilities similar to maybe an auto company with a financing subsidiary where it's like, whoa, whoa, what are all those liabilities? And it's like, all right, those are just, you know, payables on some deposits yeah. and loans and stuff like that. But financial services is about, gosh, it's not the majority of the business at all. The majority is the convenience stores, but it isn't immaterial. It's it's more than 10% of their profits. So if you're really looking into the company, something to look at, but yeah, when do you hit off earnings? Okay, so they had, I'm, I'm doing the last nine months, so this is not their typical and and it is also affected by COVID. So it's not their typical year. But they did forty point four billion in revenue over the last nine months. That's down fourteen percent year over year. Once once again, you're starting to see that COVID effect there. They did two point seven billion in operating income over the last nine months, down ten and a half percent year over year. So that's about a seven percent operating margin. Keep in mind it's convenience stores, so low margin business. Um, yeah. But 1.2 billion in net income for the last nine months. I'm not sure what the big uh, reduction was there. I think a lot of it had to do. They categorized it as COVID related losses. Um, probably write downs. Yeah, probably. And then uh, for the year, they're expecting revenue to stay down 14% year over year. So they they still have the fourth quarter coming up to report and they're expecting operating income to be down 19%. They do pay a dividend. As you mentioned, I think I had a hard time calculating the yield, but yeah, uh, it's, it's the currency yeah, adjustments. And then you look at what they're paying on their shares based in J Japan, right. which have a different share price. I don't know. What'd you, did you have 2.4% or no? Did it look? It looked, I don't know. Cause I didn't have the J Japanese share price and it yeah. said it gave the dividend number in the sh in uh, Japanese uh, uh, yeah, per shares, yeah. so um, I mean Yahoo Finance had it at like two point four percent. I guess I think I, I calculated solely on that thesis. No, yeah, make sure you confirm what we have here. But I think I went and did it like uh, from the base, like the whatever, doing the see what they pay out versus the market cap, you know, okay. kind of deal. Uh, and you got two point four. Yeah, so okay. I think they're right. All right, um, and that's all I really had for earnings. It's largely affected by COVID, but this is a company that generates a ton in sales. I mean, the largest convenience store provider worldwide. Uh, so as Brett said, this is not a penny stock. It is a no. big business. Big business, um, yeah. Look at those 2019 numbers too. You know, COVID hurt them a bit some places, especially Japan. Yeah, and, and you're Japan's, gonna have to, go ahead. You're gonna have to sort out how much of that is here to stay, how much of the commute will be reduced, because they are a company that benefits a lot from commutes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, you're stopping at convenience stores to fuel up on gas or something like that. So um, I guess that's up to each investor to make their own uh, judgments on it, but normalized uh, revenue and operating income is a little higher. Yeah, yeah. And then one note, when you're looking at the earnings, the Japanese convenience store revenues are more meaningful because they have higher operating margins. I think they don't make up the majority of sales, but they actually make up the majority of profits. So hmm. that could change with the Speedway acquisition, which we've mentioned a few times because it's so big. But just think that you know the Japanese uh, market is the most important for their profitability currently. All right, we'll take a quick break after this and then get back to the second half of the show. 
Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back. Uh, first up is digging trenches. So this is the moat rating. What do you think? Zero, one, two, or three, four, seven, eleven. Yeah, that's hard to distinguish because it, it looks like they're kind of becoming this roll-up of convenience stores. So as far as market share goes, they're uh, pretty prominent, uh, and they probably benefit from economies of scale. But at the same time, there isn't that much brand power, I don't think, in or at least here in the U.S., uh, but deciding it's between a, convenience stores. It's a small amount. It's not huge. Small amount for 7-Eleven because you know about the Slurpees and stuff. You know, People do like that, but it's not like a giant thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, maybe it's bigger in Japan where you are going to 7-Eleven for the actual brand uh, because of the difference in sort of store quality. Yeah, I think it's pretty strong, though, because, like, with convenience stores, it's all about the locations. Gas, it's all about the locations. So when you look at that, I think it's pretty strong. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of economies of scale here. Yeah, agreed. Uh, well, you know. Probably probably two, two and a two, half. Yeah, and, like, it's it's not much of a, all right, pricing power or anything. It's more of a, no one's going to disrupt them. Mom and pop's not disrupting this. Yeah, no, uh, not at all. I mean, maybe it's it's too global. It's too big. It's yeah. really hard to create a global convenience store. I mean, this took nine almost a hundred years mm-hmm. to build this kind of enterprise. So, yeah. uh, what about further reading? What are you looking at? I mean, there's a lot with this one. There's a ton. Probably the financial services have a bit of anecdotal stuff that we we're seeing from uh, Kermit capital giving us some information on that but understanding how those businesses work because they got like five or six finance subsidiaries so i don't know if this generating that much profits for the business it is meaningful um and you got to understand how steady those are over the long term yeah i'm looking at the they have a premium brand kind of like their own are you talking about fresh food 7-eleven i think it's called seven premium or something like that um so i'm curious how much people are really looking at that how much people care about that um if it's like the kirkland brand for costco um and then the other one would be the e-commerce part so they've had a lot of delivery uh they've seen a huge boost in delivery from covid and i'm curious if that is just stealing market from people who would have been shopping in person or if that's like a big switch and kind of a catalyst for growth moving forward yeah that is interesting uh luckily they are powered by doordash so they're not um, incurring those costs i think that's a great partnership but yeah those are definitely i mean i don't know that it seems like if they can replicate the 7-eleven brand you're going to get with this in the future growth opportunities and bring some of that to the united states get that because you when we think about 7-eleven we kind of think dirt grime Get some beer. That's, yeah, it, that's it's it. not great over here in the U.S. Yeah, and maybe that's just our geographical location in the Pacific Northwest. Other parts of the country could be better. But if they can change that over a decade, that could, I don't know, that could be very impactful to the business. But next up is going to be future growth opportunities. What do you have? 
Uh, I, I would say revamp U.S. convenience stores. So you, it does have that stigma of being dirty, kind of gross. Uh, it's the place on the corner where you don't want to go, but if you have to get something, you will. Um, it's convenience. <laughs> yeah, right. But if they could sort of revamp that into something that's cleaner where maybe they have electric vehicle charging and it kind of – They are doing you – know, that's not hypothetical. They are doing that. Okay. Yeah. So EV charging and then you couple that with like fresh food, fresh beverages. They are doing that as well. Like just, I don't know, revamping the brand over here in the U.S. and that almost like a Target-like turnaround. If they can yeah. go for that, that would be huge. I was thinking the same thing. The Target-like turnaround could be big. That's a, that's a decade-long process, so you got to be patient with it. But I think it, the, the thing is called Evolution. They opened a few in like New York, D.C. and one in maybe San Diego. Um, these are only a few locations, and it has to really scale to a thousand or so or more if it's actually going to be meaningful. But the comp sales that they showed were really strong. Um, you can look up the concept on YouTube; it looks pretty good. But in reality, like just getting a, a remodel is, you know, just making it look a little bit nicer will be better. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not it necessarily can go a long ways. Yeah. Like. Uh. You, target, like the, Target's the one that comes to mind every and, time. And McDonald's, too. McDonald's really helped with that, right? Yeah. Don't you I think? Mean, McDonald's had a lot of store turnarounds as well. What about you? What's your feature okay, growth so up? The big one is the acquisition of Speedway. So Speedway is one of their was one of their biggest competitors in the U.S. convenience store. Um, so the way that works is that market is highly fragmented. Uh, majority of operators are actually sole proprietors, I believe. Or smaller operators. So 7-Eleven before this was the number one, uh, had the most stores in the United States, but they only had six or seven percent of the market. Speedway had about three or four percent. So they're adding a lot of stores here. Huge purchase of $21 billion at face value, but $12 billion pro forma, uh, which I'll explain when you account for their claiming they're going to have tax benefits of $3 billion and they're going to do sale leasebacks, which is a little bit confusing to hear about in audio form. But basically a sale leaseback is when, okay, they're acquiring Speedway and then they lease back the assets for like $5 billion, which means that, you know, it helps them with all the land that Speedway owns and stuff like that. They're, they're able to take advantage of that, lease it out for a long term time period and reduce the cost they have to pay for that $21 billion. Uh, Speedway owns about 3,900 convenience stores in the U.S. Again, they own 70% of its real estate, which is, I believe, again, sale leasebacks are, I don't know why I can't understand it very well, but uh, they, the owning the real estate will help them just with the acquisition here. Um, it gives them close to now 10% market share of convenience stores in the U.S., which will help them with their delivery, you know, rewards, membership push, which is something we're probably not going to hit on too much on the show, but it is part of their thing with that uh, revamp of the U.S. stores. Um, they do like a membership for fuel, rewards programs, probably, you know, with Slurpees and stuff like that. And then I would note that only 10% market share means that there's still a lot of room to roll up. The market. They've been rolling it up for yeah. a decade or two, but they're not even close to saturation. Yeah, and that's kind of my highlight, which I'll dive into, is that uh, COVID hurt them pretty bad, but it sounds like it hurt their competitors more, um, mm -hmm. if you're judging that off the Speedway acquisition. like Convenience stores were damaged by lower commutes, but 7-Eleven had the balance sheet to endure that. And so 
we talked about it in these industries that were damaged by COVID, there's going to be consolidation coming out of it and they could benefit from that and get roll ups basically at a lower cost uh, and kind of steal market share that way. Um, I guess being the survivor in this case might be a huge advantage for them. Yep. 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 And what about your low lights? Low lights for me, sometimes I do this, like sometimes I look at certain parts of the business, like under the hood and I'm like, okay, that's really good. If that can kind of become a bigger part, that'd be great. Uh, but then I end up missing the forest for the trees and realize this is still a convenience store company, very low margin. Um, the roll-ups are possible. They could be the big beneficiary from COVID. Um, but, you know, it's it's a fragmented market and it's also very saturated and it is still hurting from COVID. You don't know how long that's going to last. If there is this big work from home trend, what happens to volume without commutes? So, I don't know, you get, you get unlimited pitches in investing. I, this just isn't something that I'm eager to swing at. Yeah. All right. I'll hit my highlights. Uh, you know, again, we think that the misunderstanding by Western investors that 7-Eleven is kind of the same in Japan. It has a better brand over there. Um, that can be helpful. I think that is a highlight. Um, it's not a company. I, I, I could be wrong, but it's a company I don't think many people even know exists. I mean, uh, yeah. No, I mean, that's pretty much reflected in the multiple. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, financial services part looks interesting, especially bringing that over to the United States where they're doing the digital wallet stuff. Not sure how much that can wor- help or work, but it hopefully will increase their margins. If they can get a fuel rewards program, that's interesting. Um, I think they have a few million members already, which is good. Uh you know, getting that, that's always good to have a rewards program if you're kind of a convenience store, something like that. I mean, everyone really has to do it. Um, they have the balance sheet, really the only one in the industry with the balance sheet to scale up and absorb Speedway in a healthy manner um, with the consistency of the industry. Again, the COVID thing could be a, you know, a red herring, but they're going to be able to absorb Speedway fine. They have the cash to do it. Um, Kermit Source, though, in Japan said, uh, and I won't reveal who it is because... You know, we don't need to say it. He says, I don't withdraw cash at banks. I withdraw at 7-Eleven. That's interesting Yeah. that, you know, the financial stuff is really actually important in Japan. Uh, it's a little bit of a black box to us because we haven't been there. But um, I think it's interesting that they're investing in EV charging stations. That's smart. Revamping the scores across the U.S. is also smart. A lot of good things to like here. Uh, low lights, though, convenience stores, again, they're not high margin. They can be affected by fuel prices and oil prices. They have a lever balance sheet, um, and it's low margin and capital intensive, which makes you nervous. If it's, you know, those three combinations, I get that business is steady, but that always makes me a bit nervous. Um, it's hard to find much optimism for a huge share price appreciation. Like, Agreed. You know, that's kind of the big thing where the low light here, you know, unless they... Pull an auto zone or something and meaningfully reduce share count over the next decade. That could be a way, uh, but we'd have to see. You know, maybe we're underwriting the roll up. Maybe they could get to a twenty percent market share in the U.S. Um, I don't know. All right, let's get to the ending. More or less interested. Anything else to close? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say less. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of operating leverage in this business. Uh, I mean, margins are still they're going to be low at every convenience store. I mean, the tad, just a little bit. It's not going to be like doubling margins. Yeah, I guess it's just not something that gets me excited. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I say I'm more interested just because of the multiple and the. It's tough if you're going for 
like a multi-bagger strategy, if you're going for a hundred-bagger strategy, probably not for you. But similar to Charles Schwab, I think this is something that you look at it and you think, is this going to be here in 50 years? And you're like, well, the moves they're making probably, and it's really hard. To, I think it's pretty hard to disrupt. So and with the speed of acquisition, they say they have a clear path to get to like $5 billion in operating income. If they continue to do that, things could work out. They continue to roll up. The story sounds great, but the capital, like that gets me more interested, but I, I don't know. I just, it's, I think there's maybe better opportunities out there for someone that wants to take on more risk. But again, if you're someone that loves Charles Schwab, if, I think you would love this. I don't think it's going away for 50 years, but that doesn't mean it's a great investing thesis. Yeah. Not, I don't know. It's Some, permanent, but that doesn't mean you're going to get a. That's not going to get better than index performance necessarily. Not necessarily, not necessarily, but I don't know. Yeah, but Kermit, sorry if we uh, weren't super bullish on it. Cause, <laughs> no, uh, but I mean, there's definitely a, there's a lot to like. I just maybe maybe too hard pile because a lot of the business is done internationally, and I don't quite understand no. the brand around there. Uh, I think it's understandable though. No. You know what I mean? It's different than like Sony. When we were looking at Sony, we were like, eh, the semiconductor business, not up a rally. But I think we could, I mean, outside of the financial services stuff, not getting a peek at it. I don't know. But it's just not It's just not exciting. Maybe that'll make it a good investment because as we say, said the same thing about Schwab and it's done fantastic at, from a low multiple. But um, yeah, not too exciting. Well, that's going to do it. We good? Anything else? No, I think that's it. Okay. Remember, as always, use our promo code CCM at checkout to get $10 off your first month of 7investing. Remember, Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Anything that we say, or excuse me, clients in Arch Capital may hold securities in, uh, wow, may hold positions. <laughs> We're still working on this. May hold positions in securities discussed on this podcast. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for next week uh, for the exciting revamp That's right. of the Sunday episode.